When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Dan, and welcome to our Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It is Mary Kay Cabot, Ellis Williams, and me on today's show, and we are going to talk about the most important Browns at each position. So we go through position by position, and we all talk through who we believe the most important Browns player could be at that position. Make sure you check out Football Insider. Head to cleveland.com slash browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. You can get signed up for an exclusive newsletter. You get exclusive access to content on cleveland.com slash browns, and you can be a part of our text subscription. So again, that's cleveland.com slash browns, the blue banner at the top of the page, Football Insider, to get information and to get signed up. All right, let's start the week off here with our Monday podcast. Here we go, talking about the most important Browns. We'll go position by position. And let's just start on the offensive side of the ball. How about that? Let's go with wide receiver. Mary Kay, we're saying most important Brown. We're all going to kind of throw a name out there and, and make the case, I guess. But who do you have here at wide receiver? You know what? I put Odell Beckham Jr. And it, did, it was kind of a no-brainer for me to do that. I think for him to come back from his torn ACL and add that speed, that element, uh, that just that shiftiness and everything that he brings to the table and the creativity and that, that just dynamic presence of an elite receiver, I think is so vitally important uh, this year. They didn't have it last year. I think it's the thing that can really get them over the top this year. Yeah, Ellis, I know Odell's a guy that you've, you've said you, you think kind of gets it figured out this year with, with Baker Mayfield. And if that does happen, it does change this offense. Yeah, it completely unlocks it. We've been waiting for it for two years now. Uh, of course, last season cut short, you know, right around when the Browns were figuring that offense out. And really all three of us have been on the record saying, you know, like give Odell that bye week and this he would have progressed along with Baker Mayfield in the offense. That's what I expect. But again, we just haven't seen it yet. So it makes complete sense why Odell Beckham Jr. is the most important, most intriguing, and just the one piece of this offense that they clearly were missing down the stretch last year. Okay, so Ellis, who would you, with Odell now off the table, who would you kind of put in this discussion? Yeah, I think this is a really fun conversation to have both now and then after the draft because I'm going to pick Donovan Peoples-Jones, but I'm also working on a piece with a working headline of if the Browns target a wide receiver early, who should GM Andrew Barry select? Now, if they go wide receiver at 26, that makes the Donovan people's Jones spot on this roster future, not cloudy, but just not as clear as an heir apparent to Odell or Jarvis Landry. And I would almost probably put the guy that goes 26 in this spot, but regardless, we'll use Donovan people's Jones as a placeholder for the future of the position really is what I'm trying to say. The, the next guy, the young guy, it, you know, you, you could see Donovan Peoples-Jones now that it sounds like we're going to have preseason games back in our life, catching two or three touchdowns in, in week two or three of the preseason, right? Like it's that type of excitement, that explosive, those flashes that he showed a year ago that has ant- anticipation building. And can he solidify his spot as the future at that position? Because as of right now, he's really the only guy long-term that you can look at on this roster and feel like, all right, maybe, maybe he is, he is next after those top two guys. Mary Kay, I wasn't sure if we would hear Donovan people's Jones's name, but this, this is a guy, if he can get on the field can be a difference maker. I really liked him last year a lot. He was so polished. I think he exceeded expectations. I think he showed a lot of promise for the future. He's a smart player. I mean, even just his field awareness his football acumen is very high. He knows what to do. Uh, he knows situational football. He knows where his feet are. You know, I mean, he's, he's really, really smart. And I was very impressed with him. Very impressed with him to the point where I think he should get a 
bunch more playing time this season. But I also agree that I'm pretty intrigued by a lot of these wide receivers in this draft. And I think that you really do have to plan for the future. Odell Jarvis turning 30 next year, and they both come with a very high price tag. So it's going to start to be time to be thinking of the future. I think they have to really look long and hard at that. If it's not in the first round, maybe it's even the second round. It's a good class. It's a deep class. I think there are some really good guys. They can get there at number 26. If they like someone well enough, they could even uh, try to trade up a little bit for one of them. I think it's that important. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, some people might be shocked by that, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if they go receiver in the first round. And I wouldn't be shocked if they trade up a few notches to do it. Well, I'm going to throw out Jarvis as mine. He's not the forgotten guy, but he's the guy that's sort of the weirdest. Like he just does so many different things. And, you know, I think there's a segment of Browns fans on Twitter that, you know, two years ago were, were saying that Jarvis is overpaid and shouldn't be here. But I think he's proven over and over again the value he has to this football team, the versatility he brings, you know, that leadership, just everything Jarvis Landry brings to this team and kind of what he represents, I think, to the Browns is really important. So that's the guy that I'll throw out there to make my case. He unlocks a lot in this offense, and we saw it really in the second half of the season. He's not going to stretch the field, but he's going to give you the ability on on some of the quick short throws. He'll throw a pass. uh, He'll make plays after the catch. And he's out there every single week. He's, He's never missed a game due to like a real injury. The only game he missed is because he got caught up in that contact tracing. You just you know Jarvis is going to be out there every single week, and I think that matters. I think it's going to be interesting uh, to see those two guys, Jarvis and Odell, on the field together for the first time, really, when the offense is humming along and when the coaching staff knows what to do with everybody and when the lights are on for Baker Mayfield. We haven't seen that yet. Those guys obviously had you know their magical chemistry together when they were at LSU but we really just haven't seen the full impact of that yet here we saw flashes of it in the Dallas game and you know that was pretty darn good Jarvis throws a touchdown pass to Odell and then Odell just kind of takes it from there so I think these two guys together if both of them are healthy and and ready to go I, I think I think it could be absolutely dynamite dynamite and this is the year they have to get it done Dan, way to put a beautiful bow on our Jarvis Landry Bark Week with that mention there. Yep, I I couldn't agree more on the Jarvis stuff. Um, Revisiting his film this week was a lot of fun. I I, kind of forget that he's one of the most enjoyable receivers to watch, uh, both live and on tape. Uh, He went four for four passing this year for 74 yards. Threw the touchdown, perfect pass rating, perfect QBR. I think what Drew two or two roughing the passer or passer and calls, you know, just, just stuff that you just don't expect a a receiver, a slot receiver to do. Uh, I've been on the record saying this, I wrote it. Odell Beckham is probably the missing piece to Baker Mayfield becoming a, a consistently explosive quarterback and this offense is taking the next step in general. But when Jarvis's time is up in Cleveland, he will be the luxury item that Baker Mayfield will miss the most. It's it just his hands, the times he's bailed them out, both on good throws and bad and everything in between. You can't replace what Jarvis does when, in terms of what we see as beat writers so closely in day to day, it's, it's been a blast to watch him and it makes perfect sense why he could be the, you know, the most important receiver from the day he got here till the day he, his time in Cleveland is up. It, I, I completely understand the pick. And, and I've said it before we talk about the Higgins Baker connection. I mean, Jarvis is really the guy. I mean, yep. the Jarvis Baker connection is the game changing connection. I mean, Higgins has been great for Baker, but Jarvis has really been a, a big piece of Baker's development. Let's move on to tight ends. This is interesting. A lot of candidates here. Ellis, why don't you go first here? This one's tough. This one's really tough. You really could go any which way. I have a feeling since we didn't reveal our picks before the pod that how I go is probably going to dictate where maybe you guys go with this. I'm going to go Harrison Bryant. And perhaps this is a theme of me thinking about the future a little too much as you're trying to win games in 2021. But, you know, Harrison's a guy that started off – his rookie season quite promising and then just the cliches the rookie wall but whatever it was 
stopped having an, a real impact on this offense, really from the fumble in Jacksonville after that, you, you didn't see much of him from a impactful pass catching standpoint. He was still on the field as his snap count fluctuated, especially with the COVID stuff and Austin Hooper leaving for a couple games there. It was a, it was a fluid position, but can he take that next step into year two tight end and be the type of focal point tight end one that every offense is looking for right now, since this league really only has three of them. I'm not sure. I wouldn't put my money on it, but as for how important that is in again, taking that next step in Kevin Stefanski's offense, finding more or finding what the true ceiling of Harrison Bryant is at that position will dictate how this team probably drafts at the position going forward as well. Well, let's go in big on the 20, uh, the 2020 draft class here to, to start off his picks. Mary Kay, who do you have? You know what? I did have Austin Hooper. I mean, it seems kind of obvious to have him here uh, because they need him to be everything they signed him to be. He's a $10.5 million tight end. When you shell out that kind of dough, you want a lot of production. You want a lot of tight, a, a lot of touchdowns. And, uh, you know, you just want, across the board, good blocking, and you really want him to pop every week. And I think they really need that to happen this year. And I think he needs to step up his game. We've talked about it before. He's been different. He's uh, fulfilled different categories on this podcast, shall we say. I think that this is the year that, you know, that he and Baker, they've got to get together a little bit more. Their, Their chemistry together has to be better. We saw balls, you know, glance off of his hands and things like that. I I think there was an adjustment period. So that's got to be over now. Uh, He's still ranked 22nd among qualifying tight ends, which is really good. Uh, But I think there has to be a lot more there, especially in an offense that really showcases and features the tight end the way this one does. So time for him to take that game up a couple of notches and, and and really have a, a blockbuster season is what you need uh, for the guy that you're paying that much money to. Mary Kay, I completely agree. The thing with Hooper is I can't figure out and I'm leaning more towards how you're landing with this, that you're putting the responsibility on Hooper. Mm-hmm. I can't figure out if it's the offense and what Kevin Stefanski wants to do with him or his production capability. And then I tend to lean towards you because if Austin Hooper could create mismatches and expose defenses you Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt would deploy him in that way so I could not agree more especially at the price tag I'm pretty sure in 2022 and 2023 that APY average per year goes up to like 13.8 close to 14 million that's like what Yannick Ngakwe got from the Raiders this offseason that's big money that's I mean that's top of the market money that's what they signed him at a year ago around this time and a year ago that after this past season, you didn't see that those type of numbers. And I'm just not sure if he is the mass mismatch creator that he's been signed to be, but this is going to be the year to prove it. I'll go ahead and throw out David Njoku, the guy who tweeted just a few hours before we started recording that he is all in apparently. So good for David Njoku. If he is in fact all in, then, you know, great. I think he's a guy we we've been talking about him ever since the Browns brought him in, honestly going back to 2017 and the potential he's got the ability he has, how raw he is, you know, this is it time to deliver, right? He, he got that fifth year option. He's getting the $6 million this year. And if he does deliver, if he does start to look like the guy that they thought they were getting when they drafted him in the first round and last season where there were positive steps, then it just, I think it changes the outlook of this room because there aren't a lot of like super athletic guys in that tight end group. He, he's really the one guy who kind of brings a different level of athleticism to the tight end group, I think. So if he kind of takes that next step and starts to look like the guy they thought they were getting when they traded up to take him, I think it changes the dynamic of that room. I mean, he has to be all in. So hopefully for the Browns sake, he really means that because I I've been saying this and I, and I will continue to say it. If he doesn't want to be here, then I would show him the door. Uh, I just don't think it's, it's worth having somebody that is not 100% on board with a team that really is trying to go to the Super Bowl this year. I mean, that's the goal. I mean, that, you know, now, now the, the cat is out of the bag. Now we, now we know the truth. Kevin Stefanski didn't really want to 
talk about it too much heading into last season. They kind of wanted to see what they had. I mean, now, now we all know what the deal is. This team is trying to go all the way. And therefore, I personally would not want somebody on my football team that doesn't want to 100% be here and isn't just giving every single thing that he had. And I'm not saying that David didn't give it his all because he did. I mean, we saw how he left it all out on the field in that Kansas City game. And, you know, it didn't show up in his play. He got a little bit better down the stretch. But, I mean, he caught 19 passes last year. Think about that. That's nothing. I mean, Odell had more than that. and He missed eight games. I just think that if he is here now, I've had people argue with me about this and that think I'm nuts for saying this. I think he's capable of catching eight touchdown passes in a season. And I've had people tell me that, that I'm, I'm crazy to think that, but I think he's capable of it because, you know, he's big, he's tall and you get him down there. Baker's good in the red zone and you get him in some of those mismatches down there. And I, I think he can, I just think that's what I see. I don't know if he'll get those chances because obviously you've got Austin Hooper and Harrison Bryant too, but that's what I think he's capable of somewhere. But if, it, if he doesn't want to 100% commit to this football team, I would say goodbye. Yeah. He's the most overqualified tight end three in football. Mary Kay, like you said, 19 catches, only 29 targets, 213 receiving yards. These numbers are just all extremely suppressed and down from his rookie year to his sophomore year. Of course, 2019 was strange, only played in four games. The ability's there, but the thing with David is that he seems to not find a role in this offense. And I'm going to keep it real with everyone on this podcast, and it really shouldn't be a surprise, but if the Browns win a Super Bowl and David Njoku has... 40 catches, 35 catches, that's not getting him tight end one money when he goes to the market next year. He's think looking out for himself as he should, and he doesn't really see a route to a lucrative payday like anyone in his position would want. I don't know how this ends. I'm worried it's not going to be great for David Njoku long-term as, in terms of contract, whether it's in Cleveland or elsewhere but he is in a just a tough situation in an offense that doesn't seem to want to feature him for probably good reason and where he is at in his contract situation. Yeah, it's weird. I, I think he views himself as a tight end one right now, but I don't, I mean, I don't think we've seen a tight end one from him just yet. So mm-hmm. this is his chance to prove that. Okay. Let's move to the offensive line. It's really the, the remaining interesting position on offense. I'll go first on this one and I'm going to go with sort of a, a theme that I had with Jarvis. You go with a guy that you know is going to be there every week, shows up, does his job, figured out how to play football during a pandemic. I'll go with our buddy JC Treader. I think he's, you know, he's not in one of the glamour positions. He's not somebody we talk about a whole lot. But I do think he's very important to everything this line does. When they brought this zone blocking scheme here with Kevin Stefanski, you know, whenever you saw them kind of run plays out of that scheme before, he really fit well. He moves really well. He gets to the second level really well. And again, you know, just like Joel Batonio next to him, the guy is out there every single Sunday. He played through that nasty high ankle sprain a couple years ago, which is usually a four to six week injury. He didn't miss a snap. In Cincinnati, he was on the ground getting tended to. It was kind of good timing because they were coming off the field in that spot. But again, he went to the tent, got back out there, didn't miss a snap. The center position is really important. So I'll, I'll nominate J.C. Treader here in the offensive line discussion. Mary Kay, what do you think? Well, I think that's a great pick. It really is a great pick. I mean, if you want to know how important it is, just look to the first play of the playoff game against the Pittsburgh Steelers when a snap went sailing over Ben Roethlisberger's head. And that was basically the end of the story for the Pittsburgh Steelers. You're right, Dan. He's consistent. He is rock solid. He's durable. And if if you need that guy, I mean, you just need that guy. I've had so many uh, coaches over the years say, you know, yeah, it's not necessarily like a, a sexy pick or a sexy signing in free agency, but you have to have a good center. And he has stabilized that position. And the thing about him in Green Bay, the knock against him was that yeah. he couldn't stay healthy. 
right? And he's been nothing but healthy here and durable. And so I, I, I think that's an excellent pick, Dan. I just want to say I love the pick. It's no coincidence that Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry drafted a center in Nick Harris in their in their first draft together. Of course, a guy who's capable of coming in and playing guard as he did this year. And as for much for all that JC does on the field, what a great mentor for a guy like Nick Harris to have both on and off the field as they groom him for likely a future of the position, which seems to be a theme of how I, I project this stuff forward. But pairing JC Treader with Nick Harris, I think is an extremely calculated decision by this front office and it's paying dividends for both what JC Treader does on the field and then how he's serving as a mentor for Nick Harris. All right, Mary Kay, who do you have here? You know what? I'm going with Jed Wills Jr. here. Okay. I just think that it's obviously such a vitally important position. They spent their number 10 overall pick on it last year. They need this guy to be really, really good. And when you look at the rankings from last year, uh, you know, you just have to, uh, you know, just kind of have to wonder when you look at those pro football focus rankings, how did he end up at 79th with uh, offensive tackles that had a minimum of 20% of the snaps, 79th. Now that contrasts with uh, one of the guys that I, you know, before the draft that I was all for them signing. Now he is 32 now. Uh, so you really would have only had him for a couple of years, but Trent Williams graded out at number one overall at 91.9. Jed, number 79 at 61.5 overall for a grade. And that includes 79th in run blocking uh, for a run-oriented team. Now, there were a lot of extenuating circumstances. We know that. Had to move from the right side to the left side. Had to do it all in a pandemic. Uh, didn't have any preseason games and all that kind of stuff. But the other thing is that, that I keep coming back to, and I brought this over time and time again, and I know sometimes I might seem like the person that, had, that points out things that people don't want to hear, but I think it's important. I think it's important to do that at times. And one of the things that I don't think that this offensive line had to deal with very much this season uh, were those fearsome pass rushers for the most part. You know, they just didn't really, I mean, even Chase Young got hurt early on in that game. You know, they just didn't see uh, those guys that are just going to come in and tear your head off. You know, they didn't have very many Miles Garretts to have to deal with last year. And they, they will have more of them this year, including the extra game that they're getting uh, when, when they play J.J. Watt and, and Chandler Jones. So, you know, so I think he's got to step up his game. I think he's got to really, and, and I'm sure he knows that. I, I'm sure they sent him forth with marching orders uh, to, to do whatever he could possibly do uh, to get better at his game. You look at a couple of the other guys – you know, that were in his class, Makai Becton graded out at 23rd and Tristan Wirfs, different position for the Bucks, but graded out at 19th. So those numbers just say to me that, okay, got that one out of the way, did the best you could, held down the fort, but now you got to take the game up to the next level. For me, it's Wyatt Teller. And it's a combination of two things. The first being, I have not been able to shake the moment on our roundtable pod when I think we were drafting best Browns or something like that. And I had Wyatt Teller pretty high and all four of you guys really highlighted accurately that you could make the case that he's good at half of the job, that he's an excellent run blocker and a suspect pass blocker. And it really made me take a step back because I agreed. I hadn't thought about it. And you watch the tape and you, you almost don't even need to watch the tape so much as those moments where he would whiff those blocks and, and draw holds where game ending plays in the time. I mean, you could make a case that it ended the Brown season in Kansas city, a poor job uh, blocking inside by Wyatt Teller because of that and where he's at in his contract situation, extension eligible this next season to me is the most important for both him and the Browns figuring out what his market really is. I don't think you extend him this offseason because you can't throw 16 million at a guy who you still have major questions about in his pass blocking repertoire. If he shares that up, then we're talking about a $16 million a year guy, which probably changes 
the future of the Browns offensive line, because now we're allocating a ton of money up front if you're Andrew Barry. And if he continues to have those questions, then you, you wonder how much he is really worth. So as much as I of a success story as Wyatt Teller was, you start to see the warts and realize that he still has one more really important season ahead of him because I think the rest of the guys really just don't have as many question marks as that one glaring issue that has both shown up on tape and his PFF grade. I think Teller is um, <clears throat> one guy we didn't mention. He's an example of like why Joel Batonio is so valuable. Like he, he just does everything well. He does every phase of the game really well. And it's, it's really hard to find a guy that can do that. There we go. Our, uh, our offensive lineman, we got to do running backs. There aren't a whole lot of options here. It's pretty obvious. So which one of you wants to make the case for Nick Chubb and who wants to make the case for Kareem Hunt? I'll take Nick Chubb. <laughs> Just the, the, we've talked about it nauseum. I think the most explosive running back in football, uh, the focal point of an offense and a guy that when used in the right situations, hits home runs and swings games for you. I think it's important to see how he develops as a pass catcher. I think it's important to see if he just stays as that traditional first and second down back and then Kareem Hunt does the rest of that. Or if Kevin Stefanski wants to continue to remain as versatile as possible and just get Nick Chubb more involved in the passing game because teams aren't expecting it. It'll be fascinating to see how that plays out. And for that reason, he's the most important to me building off what he did a year ago and then just remaining the focal point of this offense. So fascinating to think about what are they going to do with this extension for Nick Chubb, isn't it? I mean, really, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting problem to have. And I don't know if you would even call it a problem, but it's an interesting situation to try to figure out how much money do you give this guy and for how long and when do you do this? And it's, it's one of the bigger questions, I think, facing them uh, this, this offseason. And really, uh, really interested to see how they handle this because, as we know, analytics – uh, doesn't love to pay running backs long-term when they're in their second contract. So I, I'm very curious to see how this turns out. I think it'd be a fun roundtable discussion to prioritize the four guys extension eligible being what Baker, Nick Chubb, Denzel Ward, and Wyatt Teller. You know, our, our roundtables have such loose parameters anyway. Like we could just explain why or who you would extend and whatnot because Nick Chubb, falls right in that category and you can make a case why you prioritize him over Baker or why you wouldn't pay him at all. And I don't, it'd be fun to unpack that for an hour with, with our whole squad. Yeah. We talked about doing the uh, extension draft. (laughs) We can draft anything. We could add, we could draft Easter eggs for this weekend. We've got lots of round tables that we should have done. We should have done like a, an Easter candy draft. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) I don't like peeps. Who likes peeps? Nope, I'm out on peeps. Oh, they're okay. Happened. But they're, they're no Reese's peanut butter egg. Facts. Oh, I could eat facts. the peanut butter eggs forever. Oh. For sure. We ended, <laughs> right. we, we ended, we ended the draft there, number one overall. Reese's <laughs> eggs. Mary Kay, do you want to make the, a case for Kareem Hunt? Um, yeah, I think you, I mean, you can. I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have picked him number one. I would say that Nick Chubb obviously is the number one uh, most important running back. But Kareem, I think he should be used more. Let me say that. I think he should be used more. I think he should be used more as a receiver out of the backfield. I think he should be used more as an H-back. I think he should be used more with Nick Chubb on the field together at the same time to create more confusion about whether you're running it or passing it. And I I would just do more with him. I think he has a lot more to offer and I would take advantage of it. He probably made two of the best catches of this year. I mean, there's some real candidates, but there was that touchdown against Indianapolis kind of in the back of the ends, and that was a really good catch. And then there was that one-hander against Washington that was like, you know, at the time, catch of the year material. Uh, so th- this is a guy that has been really good in the receiving game. Okay, let's move to the defensive side of the ball. Let's just start at the front and work our way back. We'll go to defensive line, but – As we discussed before we started recording, we are going to take the most obvious answer out of the equation. No one can say Miles Garrett because we know how important Miles Garrett is. So, Mary Kay, start us off. Give us a defensive line name. Can I say Jadavian Clowney? (laughs) (laughs) You can say whatever Uh, you want. Yeah, by the time this goes up, who knows? He could be a Cleveland Brown. I still think that uh, 
I, I still think they have a pretty good chance of signing him. I mean, he took one free agent visit and it was here to Cleveland. So I think he was seriously considering it. I think they want to sign him. And I still think he's going to end up here. And if he does, I think that he becomes the next most important defensive lineman after Miles Garrett. I, for one, am all for it. Uh, I think that he is an elite edge defender uh, against the run. And uh, he'll set that edge. I think that's important when you're playing teams like uh, the Baltimore Ravens and running quarterbacks like Kyler Murray. And uh, I, I just think that uh, I think he would really complement Miles really well. And I think he complements Tack McKinley well, because you've got one guy that is more focused on rushing and you've got another guy that's really good against a run. So the combo package of those two who you could get for the price of one, probably right? If you go somewhere in the $6 million a year range uh, with Jadavian, is it okay? Is it, is it within the rules for me to, to pick him thinking that they could possibly get him or do I have to pick somebody else? I say it's okay. Okay. I will also say it's okay because Mary Kay, ever since you sent out uh, that subtext who many listening to this podcast also got on Jadavian Clowney yesterday, I have been anxiously waiting and anticipating a Friday late afternoon evening <laughs> news dump right that Jadavion signing with the Browns we're recording this at 3 p.m on Friday I would say in this next three hour window um I'm ready for anything when I read that I was like oh my gosh my weekend is going to be watching Jadavion Clowney tape and breaking it down <laughs> but I, I'm not I, I won't complain about that okay so Ellis why don't you give us another name all right I'm gonna go oh, there's two ways I want to go with this I'm going to go with Malik Jackson. And what was so interesting about Malik Jackson, or at least what I'm most curious about is where he plays the most snaps for this Browns team that likely comes inside. But by when watching his tape, there is enough evidence of his ability on the outside playing defensive end that, just really piques my interest in his versatility and flexibility. You know, we talk about versatility so often with safeties or corners, you know, they can play inside, they can play outside, they can play deep half, they can play a single high, but we're starting to see the way the Browns want to build this defensive line and they want versatility across the board up there also. And it was one of the things that really intrigued me about JJ Watt, the possibility of him coming to Cleveland. Since the door has been closed on that, of course, Malik Jackson is a guy who I'm now realizing can do both. And if he's healthy, if they can get 80% of who he was in 2017, 2018, I realize that was three years ago now, but if he can get back at that and he talked to the media about his Liz Frank injury and how, how problematic that was assuming that's behind him and he can get back there. This Brown's defensive line is becoming sneaky good and it's they're doing so so far without Jadavion Clowney who Mary Kay just mentioned so I'm, gl I'm glad you said Jackson that was a guy that I had circled to, to maybe bring up as well and I was looking some stuff up his pass rush grade in 2020 was kind of back closer to his norm uh, he, you know in 2019 of course you know with the injury it dropped all the way down to below 60 but he's normally been in the 70s in PFF's pass rush grades and he was back at 72.1 last year I think it's really important for this team to get some pressure up the middle. You know, we know about Miles Garrett, Mary Kay, you talked about Jadavian Clowney and Tag McKinley, and maybe they draft somebody over there. You've got to get pressure up the middle. And Ogunjobi wasn't doing it. Uh, you know, Andrew Billings, that's not really his forte. He's, he's more of a run stopper than, than anything. So I, I think pressure up the middle is really important. And so because of that, I'm going to throw the guy next to Malik Jackson in. I'm going to say Sheldon Richardson. You know, Sheldon Richardson, probably one of kind of John Dorsey's unheralded signings. Everybody, everybody loves the guy. He's been really good in the locker room. He's just played hard ever since he showed up. And last year, I thought he had a really nice year and you saw him make an impact. And he's another guy that I think can create some pressure up the middle, former first round pick. I, I, I like what Sheldon Richardson brings to this team. This might be his last year in Cleveland. I don't know how that works out. It's the final year of his contract. But I, I'm going to go with, I, I think more of the theme here is just whoever they put on the inside there, 
because they just didn't get enough last year. And I know Sheldon was a part of that last year, but I don't, I don't think it was on him. I think it was on kind of the other guys around him. So any name you want to throw on the inside, Sheldon, Malik Jackson, Jordan Elliott, Andrew Billings. Again, if they draft somebody, I think all of those guys are really vital to this football team. They've got to create pressure up the middle. You know what? I, I really like that pick of, uh, of Sheldon because he, he found a home here and uh, he's a leader and he kind of, in some ways, was the glue that, that held that sort of D-line together in some ways. Because he's, I mean, he is just a natural leader. And I think he was uh, a very powerful presence on that line. And he makes impact plays. You know, he, you know, he doesn't show up on the stats all the time, but he, he does his job. He makes him impact plays. He gets those hands up, uh, blocks, kicks. You know, he, he, does, he does a lot for you. Uh, so I, I really do like that. And then... As far as what Ellis was saying about Malik Jackson, I do like that versatility too. Uh, and one of the things about him that I think is vitally important is that he got through a whole season after the Liz Frank injury and he feels confident now. He got that season under his belt. And, and as he mentioned, he knows what is going to happen to it when he plays in the cold. Uh, you know, he knows he's, how he's going to be the next week. So I think he got a lot of that out of the way. And he can probably just kind of cut loose a little bit more and be himself. And that is, you know, that that's his forte to kind of play with his hair on fire. I'm anxious to see him and Tack together because the way people describe Tack when he's on his game is the same way, you know, just kind of like a heat seeking missile in some way. So I'm anxious to see how those two kind of guys uh, work together. Browns have been signing a lot of guys that have played in Super Bowls, by the way, too. Mm-hmm. Notice that. <laughs> Yeah. Lee Jackson, the two Rams guys, Austin Hooper played in the Super Bowl, I believe, right? He was, he was on that mm-hmm. Falcons team. Yeah. So those some guys that have played in Super Bowls recently. Okay. Let's move back to the linebacking core. Ellis, you're up. Another tough one, right? But I'm going to go back to a theme that I started this podcast on and I'm going with Jacob Phillips. This is a, a year two jump that this front office is desperately wanting to see. I'm sure again, something I said when we started this pod, I want to have this exercise after the draft because I think it is a conversation that can shift drastically if the Browns go linebacker at 26. And all of a sudden, you see how Jacob Phillips, Mac Wilson, this old regime already, despite only being, you know, two, three years in, shift away from the, the old linebackers and, and bring in fresh blood. But regardless of what happens, I think that Jacob Phillips is a guy that will be part of that new blood and that new plan. And if he can just take over the position, then they've solved their problem. But that is obviously remains to be seen and probably a long shot at this point, but I also wouldn't bet against him. There's a lot of solid pedigree there. There's a lot of traits to like in Jacob Phillips game. Uh, Linebacker is a tough position to play for any rookie. Just go look at the, the PFF grades for guys like Patrick's queen of the Ravens a year ago, who was a, a first round pick. So give the kids some time, but also it's a quick results league. You know, year two is, is going to be pivotal in how this front office evaluates him going forward. I'm going to go with, because Ellis went with, with Jacob Phillips and makes great, great points about Jacob Phillips. I think they are really looking for him to take that step up and do all the things that they drafted him to do and really kind of put his stamp on uh, this linebacking core this year. And I see him on the field almost every play for the most part. I'm going to go with Anthony Walker. I mean, it's, you know, they brought Anthony in to replace BJ Goodson. Uh, they did so to add a little bit more speed. They really believe that he is a very, very fast linebacker. And I do think that when they are in their two backer sort of sub defense type of, you know, whether it's the nickel or the big nickel or the dime or whatever it is, I think that Jacob and Anthony will be the two guys on the field. And I think that they both bring a, a range, you know, they, they, they just play sideline to sideline and they're, they both have a lot of speed. And I think that's what they're looking for at that position. Now, having said that, I did get an opportunity to interview a guy that you love, Ellis, and that's Zaven Collins. Boy, he's an intriguing player. Yeah, and, it was, and it was really cool to talk to him and kind of find out, you know, what he's all about a little bit. It was, it was a really neat uh, opportunity. We spent a half an hour with him and that's a lot longer than these interviews, these pro day interviews that were allowed to come on. Uh, that was longer than it usually goes, but he was really good. And uh, you know, just watching some of his stuff 
and, and talking to people about him. Very, very intriguing if they decide to go a route like that at number 26. He's six foot 260. I mean, mm-hmm. that size to me, that is a, that's a big guy. That, that, that tells me that's a guy that can play. Yep. You know, on the edge a little bit too. Not, not just oh, as yeah. a, the traditional linebacker. Absolutely. All right. I'll go with Malcolm Smith. You know, I don't know if, if he fits the most important mantra here, but I do think it tells you something that the Browns added him late last year and then they brought him back for a second year, even at his age, a guy they really value. So I'm, I'm just going to go with Malcolm Smith for all the things he does. He can, he can kind of fill in the gaps, I think. So if Jacob Phillips doesn't, if he struggles, you can go to Malcolm Smith. If they draft a guy and that guy takes some time, you can go. I, th- I think Malcolm Smith just fills a lot of gaps for you as a veteran guy. All right, let's move to the back end. And we are dividing this up into safeties and corners. Let's do corners first. Mary Kay, who do you have a corner? Well, you know what? I'm going to go with Greedy Williams. I, I think that they, you know, that's such a key position. Obviously, Terrence Mitchell isn't here anymore. And they are counting on Greedy Williams to come back and be the player that they drafted him to be in the second round. Even though Andrew Berry didn't draft him, I really think that that's such an important position, obviously, your number two cornerback. So hopefully for him, everything is good to go with that shoulder. The, the nerve damage is behind him and that he can come in here and try to nail down that number two spot. I just think it's vitally, vitally important. I'm going to go with Denzel Ward. And look, Denzel's future on this team is not in question. You know, he's a really, really good cornerback. He plays 12 games a year on average. I'd love to see that get to 16 this year. More importantly, I want to see him compete consistently against opposing number one receivers. Perhaps it's recency bias, but it's accurate recency bias because it's the most recent game and it was the most important one of a year ago. Chiefs Browns, Tyreek Hill climbed Denzel on a, on a vertical fade route for about a 18, 20 yard gain that he just didn't know where the ball was. And then Travis Kelsey put him, put him through the washer, put him through the spinner, man. And it it was a bad look for Denzel. And I understand those are two of the top 10, if not top seven pass catchers in this game, but that's the difference. Are you really good or are you great? It's time to find out if Denzel has that great in him. And there are some receivers on the schedule this year that he's going to have an opportunity to prove that against. And we're, you know, we're to a point now where he's going to have to face Chase Claypool twice a year. Yeah. You know, if the, what if the Bengals draft, uh, <laughs> what if the Bengals draft a receiver at, at five? You know, I mean, there's so many different ways you're going to face some really good receivers twice mm-hmm. a year. Okay. So Mary Kay said Jadavian Clowney. So I'm going to, I'm going to take some artistic license here as well. And I'm going to say whoever the Browns draft, at either number 26 or in the second round. Mm-hmm. Let's say J.C. Horn. I mean, look, if J.C. Horn were to fall to 26, I would – I'd if I were Andrew Barry, I'd drive down to the stadium and make sure I handed that card to Roger Goodell myself to make sure it didn't get lost. I, I You know, I, I just wouldn't rule out them taking a corner at 26. I know that's not any sort of hot take. I know that's a position a lot of people have circled. They haven't really addressed that position yet in free agency. And I still find it hard to believe that they're 100% sold that Greedy Williams is going to be the guy there. And they want Troy Hill to play in the slot. So I'm, I still feel like a corner is in play there really high at 26 if the right guy falls to them. So I'm going to say whoever that is, because that might end up being your number two corner. Dan, I couldn't agree more. And for everything I just said about Denzel, what if they just draft a guy that becomes that number one corner, that true shutdown guy, and then Denzel's just in stud of a number two? I mean, that's how quick these things can change in this league. Now, that's a, what, a lot of what-ifs and nailing a draft pick, but I just saw the Vikings do it with Justin Jefferson at wide receiver, quickly becoming a, a top-ten guy. So it can happen. It's a loaded cornerback class. They just got to select the right one, and at 26, I think corner makes a lot of sense. I, I think so, too. I think it's something that they will definitely look at, and again, you're looking at the uh, trends and tendencies of a front office that puts a lot of value on the secondary, a lot, a lot of value on safeties and cornerbacks. They know they can never have too many good ones. And as you guys mentioned, if they can have a great one, uh, I, I think that they would 
I think they, they would jump at the chance. And, and as we all know, we know some of the names that, uh, that could possibly be there at cornerback, you know, they might have an opportunity to, to get one of the top ones. So I think it would definitely be in play. And there's some edge rushers in the second round that I think could be interesting, second or third round that, that you might be able to look at and say, I can get really good value there. Here's a corner I really like at 26. Or maybe I really like Zayvon Collins at 26. There's a lot of ways they could go there. Last position here, it is safety. Ellis, give us a safety. I mean, there's I'm really sure. only three guys to choose from, right? So we're all going to talk about somebody. Well, that, and I'm so glad you picked me first because I'm now realizing I really can just complete my sweep of the 2020 draft <laughs> class, aside from Jordan Elliott, which no disrespect there. I just really like Malik Jackson. I'm taking Grant Delpit, and I, and I can be short with this. It's just, what is he? And it's not because I doubt it. It's just because you don't know. And finding out as soon as possible will change the entire complexion of this defense. If he is shades of what, Antoine Winfield Jr. was for the Tampa Bay Bucks this past year. Different players, different build, but at the end of the day, are you a playmaking safety that knows how to get around the football? Then holy smokes, this defense is climbing towards a top 15 unit, if not higher, quite quickly. If there's more injuries, you know, the Achilles leads to a hamstring, which leads to a knee. It's all connected and related. This could be a process. You obviously hope it's the former, but we just don't know. And I can't wait to see it because coming out of LSU, there's so many traits there that you really like in him. Yeah, just the, the thing too about, about Grant is it just seems like for the most part, those LSU guys, they just always seem like they come in so ready to play. You know, they come in ready to be in the NFL. They look the part right away. So I, I don't think it's going to be one of these things where you have to like wait a, a year or two to see what he's going to be. If he's healthy, he, it's go time for him. John, John Johnson, I'm going I'm to go with John Johnson. Obviously, uh, we know how important he's going to be, especially if Grant isn't everything they want him to be right away or if he needs a little bit of time. Uh, they're going to rely heavily on John Johnson. I think it probably might end up that Anthony Walker will wear the, the green dot. Um, but John Johnson is, is certainly capable of doing that and a candidate for that. Uh, he's going to help those guys know exactly where to be. He'll help Troy Hill know where to be and what to do on every play. Those guys will play very well off of each other. I think he'll help Denzel Ward. Ellis, when you talked about Denzel in the Chiefs game, I think when he's surrounded by better talent, then I think you're going to see his game come up a little bit. When you've got like really good safeties uh, that can back you up on things and a really good cornerback on the other side, I just think that he won't have to, to have the brunt of the workload as much as he has had. Completely agree. Yep. Completely agree with that. To your point too, about the LSU guys, Mary Kay, this is a a different program, but I know whenever I've talked to guys that have come out of Alabama, Nick Saban runs that thing like a, like a pro program, Mm -hmm. right? Like you go to meetings, like you're in the NFL, you, and and I think a lot of the other bigger programs are the same way. So LSU, Ohio state, when you go to those programs, it gets run like a prof- like a pro program. So these these guys come in, these guys know how to watch film. These guys know how to do all of these little things because these programs are so focused on we're going to get you here, we're going to get you to the NFL, and it really teaches guys and prepares guys for that. Speaking of which, one of those guys that I talked to about that, Ronnie Harrison. I'll go ahead and throw his name out. I don't feel like we know exactly who Ronnie Harrison is because his season was sort of stops and starts last year, but. When he was on the field, he was pretty good, and he was dynamic. He seemed to have a nose for the football. I think he's sort of that you – know, obviously, they brought him in in part because they needed to find somebody to fill that Grant Delpit role. He's still really young. I, I, I want to see what Ronnie Harrison can do now in a full year. And, again, the, the thing I really liked is he played in the box a lot. But then against Kansas City, when they finally decided to make that switch away from Sendejo, it was Ronnie Harrison who, who played deep. It wasn't always Carl Joseph. So he's, he fits that mold of just a really versatile safety. You know, he almost had a great sack against Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson just made a great throw with, with Ronnie Harrison hanging onto his ankle. So there's just a lot of different things he can do. And to have that guy essentially as your third safety if Grant Delpit is healthy and who we think he is, that is – Ellis, you said the word luxury with Jarvis Landry. I mean, it's a luxury to have a guy like Ronnie Harrison if he's your third safety. Yeah, and Dan, you were one of the first that I remember 
hearing being on the the Ronnie Harrison trade being really just a, a home run success. And I know that you've got, you know, that, that beachfront property on the Ronnie Harrison corner. And I'm wondering, can I just get a little apartment, a little condo yeah, there? Hang out. It's, it's, it's open to everybody. My, my man, because it's, it's the right place to be for the exact point you made when you started that, that point is that his start stop is so challenging for an athlete. So challenging for a football player to be in and out of, lineups in and out of games but then you see how quickly he picks it up and for that reason I'm a I'm a firm believer in what he's going to bring to the team next year and I couldn't agree more that it is going to be an abundance of riches if John Johnson just keeps doing what he's been doing Ronnie stays healthy and, and does what he does and then Grant turns out to be the LSU product that we just talked about it, it it's going to be a fun trio to that Browns fans can enjoy I think it would rank right up there if Grant's healthy as, as one of the best safety trios in the NFL. I mean, I, I think the, you know, one of the things that you want to see them do consistently uh, would be to create turnovers and takeaways and be that force over the middle that, you know, when you, when you think of the Troy Palomalus and the Ed Reeds and that kind of guy where you just have to be so afraid of where that guy is every time. I hope, uh, for the Browns that one of those guys or a couple of those guys turn out to be that guy. Um, and as you mentioned, Dan, I mean, Ronnie Harrison showed a nose for the football like that and started doing some of those kinds of things. Uh, but that's what, you know, if you have those three guys, then I think the next thing that they're going to have to do is make sure that they are punching that ball out and, uh, and grabbing some interceptions. Okay. We did all the positions except for quarterback for obvious reasons. <laughs> there's, there's not, does anybody want to make the case for Kyle LaLetta? Is he even still on the roster? <laughs> I think he is. Right, so that, that is our Monday podcast here uh, on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Check out Football Insider. Head to cleveland.com slash browns, that blue banner at the top of the page. And, of course, make sure you're subscribed because we got another full week of pods coming up this week, including Gotta Watch the Tape on Thursday. And then I think, if I'm not mistaken, don't hold me to this, I think we're drafting coaches on Friday. So that should be interesting. If we don't draft coaches on Friday – I apologize, and we'll draft coaches eventually, but I think that's the plan as of right now. So, for Alice America, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening.